here. Are we ready? Shall I begin? Okay. Maybe maybe one second. So okay. Mr. Shomer? So maybe it's okay. Okay. Should we start with a moment of silence to remember why we're here? So, <laughs> my name is Tim, um, I'm an alcoholic and an addict and many other things. Uh, I've been in AA for over 25 years, since I was 21, um, and I've been going to Al-Anon or reading Al-Anon literature or talking to Al-Anon people for... 23 years and one of my great mentors in Al-Anon is uh, a Jesuit priest from Oakland in California called Father Tom Darby. If you can get tapes of his, they're amazing. Uh, he says that he came into recovery from alcoholism because of his alcohol use and he joined Al-Anon in 1978 because he was angry. <laughs> Hands up who is angry or has been angry. <laughs> um, there are a lot of addicts and alcoholics in my life. Um, I grew up in a family where the alcoholics and addicts were there but they're drinking and their using was, and their acting out, was hidden. Um, my father, God rest his soul, was likely a sex addict, but everything was hidden, everything was happening somewhere else. All we knew was that the money was going somewhere and it wasn't gambling and it wasn't drinking. So what was it? Um, that the missing piece in the crossword puzzle is pretty clear. Um, uh, there were lots of alcoholics around me. I went to a boarding school, um, so in an enclosed environment. And uh, there were lots of alcoholics there in positions of power. Um, I've tended in my life to be attracted to alcoholics and addicts in various ways. Sometimes they seem a little more alive than ordinary people. There is a connection to something beyond that they find in addiction. And I couldn't find it myself. I needed to connect to something through them. So alcoholics, addicts, very attractive. Um, and because I've been in recovery for 25 years, um, I'm surrounded by alcoholics and addicts every day. I do a lot of service in my main fellowship. 
so I'm surrounded by alcoholic behaviour there and uh, over the years I've sponsored hundreds of people so I'm presented with alcoholic behaviour there and the first sign um, I'm going to talk about step one today why I need step one today um, I don't know if any of you have had the experience of getting a phone call or if you use text, getting text, if you use email, getting an email and you see the name and immediately your stomach starts to turn over and you don't know what they've said yet but there is this immense sense of threat and have any of you had the experience when you have a brief conversation with someone for two minutes and you spend the rest of the day <laughs> thinking about the conversation and planning what you're going to say next time there is contact because this is too important to allow God to inspire you in the moment so you need to plan very carefully to stop whatever it is happening. Um, that sense of being hooked into someone else's drama and self-destruction and addiction, uh, it's a drug in itself. That is my drug. And beneath my addiction to other people's addiction is, there was a moment yesterday, I went to an Al-Anon, an AA convention yesterday. And I came back to the hotel and I was tired. Um, I'd been with people all day. And I lay down on the bed and there was a sense of emptiness. And that was the thing that I'd always run from. The sense of what happens if I allow myself to go to that empty place beyond everything. And now I know how to go into that place and to stay there in that darkness until the stars come out. And my whole life I've been running away from darkness without enough patience to wait for the stars to come out and sitting instead staring at light bulbs <laughs> and getting my eyes burned out by the light bulbs because that instant light is dangerous and I need the light from beyond and I only get that when I become still. Um, but I have to go through a period of darkness to get there and let my higher power hold me until everything comes down. And then I'm alright. Um, <coughs> there are some rules that people have in Western society and maybe these rules operate in Israel as well. I don't know Israel well enough. 
but there are enough Americans here you may have been infected by the American disease uh, the first rule of western society is don't have anything wrong with you the second rule of western society if there is something wrong with you get over it quick <laughs> i.e. within a few days you know when you share at a meeting about something and then one week later you're still sharing about the same thing and everyone says that was last week haven't you gotten over it yet <laughs> the third rule of western society is if you've got something wrong with you and you can't get over it quick shut up about it don't tell anyone fourth rule if you must talk about it go somewhere else uh, if you can't get over it if you won't go somewhere else if you have uh, uh, if you must talk about it at least have the grace to look ashamed and this programming is within me at cellular level it is in the cells so I grew up in a house where no one is allowed to have anything wrong with them and <coughs> I had to pretend my whole life there was nothing wrong with me and as an adult that switched and I would panic if anyone was in front of me with a problem if you have a problem I have a problem if you're unhappy I am unhappy I need to stop you from being unhappy so that I can relax so being unable to let other people be broken be damaged be unhappy for decades um, and this is where my um, my alanonism um, my anonism comes in is different coping mechanisms with being surrounded by addiction and what looks like threat um, the first one is uh, the bulldozer and the bulldozer uh, goes through the world not interested in what is there I have a plan the plan is going to be implemented if you don't get out of the way of the bulldozer you will be flattened so there is no knowledge of other people there is no interest in other people there is a plan and the plan is always this I heard um, a priest in uh, Al-Anon many years ago say I thought I could achieve security through order if my world was neat if my world was tidy if there was a schedule 
if there was a budget <laughs> and everything was under control I would be safe and nothing could get me and so this is where the bulldozer comes in because as uh, an anonic I don't know how you're going to translate anonic okay <laughs> as an anonic um, uh, I learned how to become efficient and effective to make up for the fact that other people were inefficient and ineffective so I could do my job I could do your job I could do both at the same time and still have time to worry <laughs> um, my other features of the bulldozer um, is my eye is always on the horizon when I'm in my addiction my eye is on the horizon the danger coming over the hill the tiny little sign that someone someone's addiction is getting worse not better they miss a meeting why have they missed a meeting what is going to happen if they miss them and then I see five years time ten years time <laughs> what happens then always looking into the distance and uh, I've got some uh, very close friends in recovery and one of them uh, relapsed very badly on drugs and alcohol 11 years ago and got sober and clean 8 years ago and I've noticed in conversations with this friend sometimes um, he will say something which indicates he's angry with AA or he doesn't want to take sponsee phone calls and my mind says he's going in the wrong direction and I realize sometimes I've stopped breathing when a deer or another frail animal is in the woods and it hears a noise it stops <laughs> and it stops breathing because if it moves the wolf will hear it and so I can watch today for when I go <gasps> and I realize that I've spotted a danger and I need to pay attention very carefully um, or they will get you and I'll notice that detail the sign that something is going wrong in someone else's recovery and I stop listening to anything else they have said <laughs> and my mind immediately starts saying how can I persuade this person to turn the ship in the right direction and this is where the other the second feature of my Alanonism comes in. So we've had the bulldozer. Now we have the controller. Now the controller is slightly different. It looks like bulldozing, but the focus is not on my plan for order and security. My focus then 
is to make you well, to have all of your emotions packed away so that you are now emotionally neat and tidy. How are you? Everything is fine. That's the ideal position for the controller. So you, you don't want people in front of you with the full range of human emotions. You want a doll with a smile on, the, on its face. Uh, and you want this person to be efficient. You want this person to be effective. You want this person to fulfill all of the tasks that you have delegated <laughs> to this person. <laughs> and if only they will follow the script, the plan is fine. And so my tendency in this situation is to treat other adults like they are six-year-old children. Now, the reason this is difficult to recognize as a problem is that temporarily it works. Temporarily I can get people to do what I want them to do. But it's like cats have no attention span <laughs> whatsoever. You can get them to sit still for four seconds. But after that, they notice something and they're running somewhere else. And then I run after the cat. <laughs> uh, but it produces resentment, it produces fear, and it stops people growing up. It stops people from taking responsibility. And I've done this with sponsees, that when a sponsee is very new, the sponsee is in recovery for two weeks, for four weeks, for six months. When they have a problem, you do need to give them the tool. You do need to give them the solution. But when you've been sponsoring someone for five years, or they have been in recovery for ten years, and they phone up and they say, today I'm full of fear. If I start providing a solution at this point, what have we been doing for the last 10 years? Why have I shown you how to do a fear inventory? Why have I pointed the way to God if every time you're frightened, you come to me and I tell you something that you know already? And this is the controller. When I take responsibility for things which are your responsibility and I, cre I create, I make other people into children. Um, the third uh, type of response um, to alcoholics and addicts is um, uh, the victim. Now the victim, when I'm playing the victim, um, I feel like I'm the cause of all of your negative emotion. So if you feel bad, I feel guilty. <laughs> if you're shouting, 
it is because I've done something wrong. Um, uh, if I do a, if I do a piece of work and the piece of work is criticised, my stomach feels as though it weighs a thousand kilograms and then hits the floor. And I can't, but I know the rest of the day is gone. All I will think about is the thing that I have done wrong. And the victim, rather than being affected in a thousand ways, a thousand small ways, by the thousand small things that go on around me, um, my mind looks for certain types of event and then is massively affected by those. And what my mind looks for is criticism, judgment, anger. And I will be affected by these things a thousand times more than a normal person. The last thing is um, the, the doormat. And the doormat um, imagine putting your hand on a hot stove and then you look at your hand and it is now red, it is burned, it is covered in blisters and you feel nothing. And someone says to you, why, why are you doing this to yourself? Um, even years into AA, I had a, I had a friend who relapsed on pills. And uh, there was this friend one morning in a terrible state. He said, can you come over? I immediately drop everything. I had plans for the day, but I drop everything. And he says, on the way... <laughs> on the way, can you stop by the, the chemists and buy me this pill with this ingredient? And for this, this was like 17 years sober. For a moment, I almost went to the chemists. I felt very proud of myself for not going to the chemists, but I didn't turn around and go home. This is called a slip. <laughs> so when they have the slip, I have the slip. <laughs> that all of the behavior comes in. Uh, because the fear is, if I stop supporting the alcoholic and the addict, it's actually going to get worse. So I need to stop. I need to provide love and support. Um, I was told by my sponsor, and actually, I'm going to go back. Um, I had a good 
clear six or seven years without any serious Al-Anon slips between 10 years in recovery and 16 years in recovery. My best friend relapses and I immediately do everything that I've been telling other people for the previous six years not to do. And I did not see, I could not see it. It was extraordinary. And what my sponsor said to me once I told the truth was that if you stop him from hitting his rock bottom, he will die. If you step back and allow him to hit the rock bottom, he may die, but he may recover. Um, I've sponsored in AA people who are rich and it's very rare for them to get sober because there is a safety net to catch them and it's the people where there's no safety net to catch them who hit the rock bottom so I've got to not be the safety net um, the safety net, being the safety net, this is the doormat. Being the safety net may stop them from ever getting well. And it will take me into hell with them. So I needed to save the only life I can save, which is my own. And the first time someone said to me, the only life you can save is my own, my reaction was, you mean I do not have a global mission <laughs> to save anyone? If my life is the only life I can save, what's the point? There's no point in my life being saved. There is only a point if I can save other people. And this is the point about the darkness. You have to sit in the darkness before the millions and millions of stars come out. And the stars are enough. Um, one of the problems I had philosophically after many years in AA was that um, I started to ask myself uh, what is the point in life what is the point in existence what is the point in my life and the answer funnily enough came from my other half who said can you not just look at the universe and be amazed? <laughs> just, there's that wonderful line in the big book. We were amazed before we were halfway through. And simply to be alive, to be amazed, 
is enough. Um, there is a line in a poem where the poet says, You do not have to walk on your knees through the desert 100 miles repenting. <laughs> and this was a surprise. This was news. <laughs> um, a lot of my life I felt like I was walking on my knees. If you've ever tried to walk on your knees, there is a lot of effort and you can't get very far <laughs> very quickly. It hurts and it's still your fault. You can't get rid of the guilt. Um, ultimately, my step one in the Anon programs is to say, I'm trying to control things I cannot control and have no business controlling. And if I carry on, this will kill me. And I want to change. Um, does anyone have any questions about step one? Can you say again before the only focus on the Yes. So the, I'll repeat questions. That's being recorded, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the first, per, my first Al Anon personality type is the bulldozer, which is the image is clear. The controller is very much focused on getting the other person to behave the way I want them to behave. The victim is affected by everything going on around me, but with the volume turned up. And uh, the fourth one is the doormat. So everyone is walking all over you, and for a while you feel nothing. <laughs> until you realize all of your bones are broken <laughs> because everybody has been walking all over you. Any other questions? It's more about sponsorship or what you said. Um, what do you say to long-term sponsees who call and say they're in fear? Um, first of all, I try and be gentle. <laughs> because you repeat the question, Yeah, sorry. The question is, how do you respond to... I'll broaden the question. How do you respond to sponsees who have been in the program for a long time, but who call with very basic emotional difficulties? Um, I explain very carefully what is going on. I'll say, I can do for you what you cannot do for yourself, but I will not do for you what you can do for yourself. And I think that you have enough tools to start working on this problem, and you take your tools, apply them to this problem, take it as far as you can, and then if you have any questions, then ask, and if you just want to share, 
Come to my home group. We'll go for dinner afterwards. You share over dinner. <laughs> but telephone calls in the middle of the working week. Business is business. So with sponsees, there are two types of... Actually, there are three types of interaction. The first type is business. So you have your role as sponsee. I have my role as sponsor. The second type of interaction is just general chatting, general sharing. You need to let out everything that is inside. There is a space for that, but I don't take up time in the business part of the day for that. You have to come to my home group. We'll do that face to face and we can interact naturally. The third type is friendship. Beware. <laughs> um, with my sponsees, um, maybe over the years I've tried to become friends with a handful of them and almost always it's ended in disaster because there ends up being a conflict between my role as sponsor and my role as friend and as a sponsor I need to be able to say things that the other person does not want to hear and I cannot have the conflict in me do I say this or do I and risk the friendship or do I prioritize the friendship and threaten the sponsorship relationship now when I know that that is happening it's hard but I can do it I can say to, to a sponsee I've got one sponsee who I class as a, 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 a close friend the others are uh, fellowship friends it's a different uh, we, we get to know each other we hang out we go for dinner together we go on AA trips together but the inner circle I can't have sponsees in the inner circle I've, I've got one it's an unusual relationship and that works but it is the absolute exception um, but the real danger when you've got a sponsee who is on the inner circle is that you will censor what you're saying subconsciously so you don't even know that you are holding back you don't know what you don't know something inside you is protecting the friendship and the reason this is so dangerous is sometimes it is only the sponsor who has the courage to say you're completely wrong you are dangerous to yourself and others and if they are relying on you to be the person to be the final warning and you're, you can't fulfill that role because you're the friend and you don't even know that you can't fulfill that role you are jeopardizing their life so I'm 
very, very protective of my inner circle. And uh, I had a friend two years ago who um, uh, was between sponsors. Um, he'd had a problem with a sponsor. It was a legitimate problem. It was unreasonable for him to continue. He hadn't found a new sponsor. And I helped him for a few months. But in every single conversation we had, we made it clear, I am putting on my sponsor hat. <laughs> and then at the end of the sponsorship conversation, I am taking off my sponsor hat. I am putting on the friend hat. So occasionally I need to bend the rule, but I'm very careful, very deliberate how I do it. Because the one thing... Uh, with alcoholics and... Uh, drug addicts, the fact that it's going to kill them is very obvious. With other addictions, it is not so obvious, but it is just as real. And what you do not want to have on your hands is a situation where someone relapses and stays relapsed or where they have a nervous breakdown, or where they commit suicide, and to think, did I have a part in that? Because you don't get over that easily or quickly. So I'm very protective of those roles for my own sanity and my own conscience. Any other step one thoughts before it gets more cheerful after step one, I promise. I'm wondering if you ever worked with a nonce who didn't relate to any of the four personalities and then that greatly jeopardized how devoted they were to the rest of the work. You're in an anonymous situation because you're married to an addict or you have and you feel like one second, this isn't this isn't me. None of these four things me. So, so the question is so that it's clear on the tape. So we've got the four types, which are not an exhaustive list. There are surely other types. Bulldozer, controller, victim, doormat. What if someone doesn't relate to any of those? I've never found someone who doesn't relate to any of those. Uh, sometimes it takes a while, but all the person knows is I'm numb, or I'm frightened, or I'm obsessed. But there is always a way in. With the excessive emotion, excessive emotional responses, you're looking at the victim one. With numb, you're looking at doormat. And sometimes it takes a long time for um, it takes a long time to defrost an Alanon. <laughs> sometimes on the packet it says defrost in the refrigerator overnight, and 
that's not going to work for a big joint of lamb. You need to put it on the balcony in the sun. <laughs> so with with the anons, um, especially if they come into this anon, that anon by accident, without really wanting to, it can take a long time to to thaw out and to realize what is going on. So then just wait. It, whatever needs to rise to the surface will rise to the surface. There's a great line in the big book about the stories where it says, we hope you pause when reading one of the stories and say, yes, I felt like that. Or, oh, I can't remember the next thing it says. Let me look up. Um, or more important, yes, I felt like that. Or most important, yes, I believe this program can work for me too. So it's identification and inspiration. I want. To, may I tell? I know we're going slightly over time. I have one step one story, which might help with this. Hmm? Oh, I have five more minutes. Okay, good. Um. Actually, it's two stories. <laughs> one of the. One of the ways that Alanon got me was when I identified by accident. So I'm listening. Consciously, my mind is filtering out. My mind is holding everyone and everything at arm's length and is saying, I don't like you. I'm not interested in you. I am not like you. <laughs> and then there is a story and I cannot deny that it is me. <laughs> One of them, I heard someone say, I think it was on a tape, that when she was on a plane, when the plane was taking off, she would stop reading her book and concentrate <laughs> on the plane taking off. And as soon as she was comfortable that the plane was safely in the sky... She returned to the book. Now, I had been doing this my whole life. I had not even noticed I was doing it. And what was going on was that I felt that by my, the power of my concentration, <laughs> I was keeping the plane in the sky. <laughs> you Now... You if you do that, you cannot deny that you do it. You know that you do it. Um, the last step one story. Um, and this is why Alanonism is so tricky. Um, in ancient Egypt, I don't know how much you know about the religion of ancient Egypt um, but one of the beliefs 
was that the sun would travel across the sky during the day and then the sun and the sun was a god this, the, this god sun sun god would pass under the earth and go through lots of trials and difficulties and basically hell every night and if the sun god successfully went through these trials and difficulties the sun would rise the next morning and so far so good but the priests in the temples did not trust that the sun god would have the ability to pass under the earth through these trials and through these difficulties so there were prayers there were rituals hundreds of people involved in making sure that the sun god successfully passed through these trials and difficulties and this isn't the crazy bit the crazy bit is when the sun came up the next morning they would say phew thank heaven we did that work because otherwise the sun wouldn't have risen so the system reinforces itself so you, you start to believe that if I stop controlling everything is going to fall apart the fact it is not worse is because I am controlling. <laughs> um, and this is why we'll talk about step two in the next se session. Um, what happens if I let go? Terrifying. <laughs> Which is why you really need to be done controlling before you are going to be ready for step two. Let's have a break. Thank you. Thank you. What was the name, what's the name of that father?